Well, good morning, church. Glad you guys are here this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 7 as we continue our series preaching through the book of Mark. And uh, if we could maybe have the lights maybe brought up just a little bit for people when they're looking. Thanks. Um, But we are continuing preaching verse by verse through the book of Mark. We arrive here in verse 7 of chapter 6. And so far in the book of Mark, we've seen Jesus preaching and teaching, but it's mainly been Jesus preaching and teaching. And we've seen Jesus opposing evil by casting out demons. And we've seen Jesus performing miracles and and healing people. And and then we've seen people respond to him a couple of different ways. We've seen some people receive him and, and welcome him and embrace and follow him. But then we've also seen others reject him. But so far in the book of Mark, we've mainly been seeing Jesus be the one to teach. Jesus be the one to oppose evil. Jesus be the one to heal people. But now we get to chapter 6, verse 7, and now, now it's the disciples' turn. The disciples that he has called are now going to be sent. They're going to be a sent. And I imagine that when this was presented to them, there was probably like a collective gulp, you know, a collective like, oh my gosh, right, from the disciples. I mean, they've been with him for a while. They've been watching him do these things, but now it's their turn. Jesus says, okay, now you go and do what you've been watching me do. I'm sure some were like, uh, what was that? Jesus? Really? There's probably a little nervousness and anxiety that came along with that. And it reminds me of when I work in the emergency room. Uh, We often have students that are with us, and and usually at first they're pretty fired up to watch us do what we do. They're pretty excited to follow us around and kind of shadow and just see what we're doing, to to get to be in the room and watch us do certain things. But there's a saying in the medical community that's often used with students, and it's this phrase, it's, it's see one, do one, teach one, right? See one, meaning like if I'm teaching a student, I'm going to let them watch first. I'm going to let them see one. I'm going to let them watch me do a procedure and just see how it's done first. But then I know in order for them to grow and develop, they're going to have to do one. They're going to have to get off of the sidelines, so to speak, and get into the game. They're going to have to be participants in what's happening. And then I know if they're going to continue to grow and develop, they're going to need to eventually be able to teach one, right? Because anyone of you who's, who's ever taught anyone anything, you know that in order to teach something to someone, you have to even have kind of a deeper understanding and knowledge of what's going on to be able to teach it to someone else. And so you see one, you do one, you teach one. Everyone's excited to see one, right? Everyone's excited to see one. Anyone would be there just to watch what's going to happen, right? Everyone was excited to watch Jesus perform these miracles and to preach and to cast out demons. I mean, the disciples had a front row seat to some of the most miraculous events to ever happen here on earth. But what happens to our students is probably what happen, is happening here with the disciples because now it's their turn to do one, right? It's time to come off of the sidelines, actually get into the game, not just be spectators of the ministry of Jesus, but to actually participate in the ministry of Jesus. And when you go from watching to actually doing, there's usually a little anxiety there, right? 
I mean, there's, there's the heart rate usually starts increasing a little bit. People get a little sweaty, right? You, you'll notice in the ER, that's when the student kind of takes off their short white coat, right? Because all of a sudden, it's gotten really hot in the ER, right? When they know they're going to have to go do something. But, but why, do, why do we do this when we're teaching our students this way? Is it, is it just because we're being mean? Is it just because we like to watch someone kind of squirm and get nervous? Maybe a little bit of that, okay, maybe a little bit of that. But it's primarily because we know that it is essential for their growth and development to not just watch me do work, but to actually participate in my work as well. And in a similar way, our passage this morning, it's a call for the 12 apostles of Jesus to not just be spectators of the ministry of Jesus, but to be participants in it. To not just watch Jesus do work, but to actually participate in his work and ministry as well. <clears throat> now, Jesus didn't need to send people to carry out his ministry, right? I mean, he could have done it himself. He could have sent angels to do it. That probably would have been a more effective strategy, right? He didn't need us to go complete and carry out his mission here on earth. But no, by his grace and his goodness, he allows us to participate in his work because it is for our own good to be a part of the work of Jesus. By us not just watching, but instead participating in the ministry of Jesus, it actually helps us grow and develop. It actually helps us mature in our faith. It helps us strengthen our faith, and it helps us become more like him. And here in our passage, we're going to learn something crazy about the, a part of the plan of God. And it's this, that Jesus is restoring his world by sending his people. Jesus is restoring his world by sending his people. And by Jesus sending us, he's not only restoring and renewing the ones that we are being sent to, but he's actually restoring and renewing the ones being sent Okay, so Jesus is restoring his world by sending his people. And not only is he restoring and renewing the ones we are being sent to, but he's also restoring and renewing the ones being sent. So look with me now at Mark 6, verse 7. We're going to see this, how this plays out. Mark 6, verse 7. It says, and he called the twelve. Let's stop there for a second. First notice that it starts with a calling, okay? And th this should remind you of what we saw back in Mark chapter 3. I know that was a few months ago, but let me remind you of Mark chapter 3, verse 13. It says, He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Those whom he desired, he called and they came. Now, now, we like that part. We are comfortable with that part. It's all sunshine and butterflies to talk about Jesus desiring us and calling us and us coming to him, right? Like, that's, that's easy to talk about. We can take comfort in that. But church, you have to understand this pattern that we see all throughout Scripture and that we see all throughout history, and it's this. He calls and then he sends. He calls and then he sends. He says things like, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says things like, Go 
and make disciples of all nations. There is a calling and there is a sending, okay? There is a gathering of God's people and there is a scattering of God's people, a healthy rhythm that we see throughout Scripture and throughout history. And whether you realize this or not, we actually try to lean into this rhythm when we plan our corporate worship gatherings. And so we typically start our gathering with some sort of call to worship, right? It's a, it's a call to, to come together before the Lord. It's a reminder that God initiates everything, that he first loved us, that he first called us before we could even respond, before we responded to him. He called, he initiated, he created. That's what we have, a, a call to worship. It's a reminder that God calls But then how do we close our service? We close it with a benediction, a blessing as you go. It is a commissioning, a sending off. It's a word of peace and encouragement as we send you out into your neighborhoods and into your schools and into your workplace. God calls and then he sends. And we must remember that as we are sent, it is ultimately because we were first called by God. And he is the one who is sending us. And many times Christians in churches, they can get an unhealthy balance of what they like to emphasize, right? They like to emphasize one of these and neglect the other. So so we naturally want to elevate the, the gathering or the scattering and neglect the other piece of the puzzle, okay? So for example, a church might be all about the gathering, right? All about the calling of God to come together. We're going to learn. We're going to grow. We're going to study the Bible. We're going to worship. But if you forget that we are also sent out into the world, if you just focus on the gathering, if you forget that Jesus is restoring his world by sending his people, then you can all too quickly become a church that, that becomes what we call a, a holy huddle, right? Who's inwardly focused and only thinks and knows things about themselves. It gets real unhealthy real fast. But then you have the, the opposite end of the spectrum too. People that say, no, 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 we are the sent ones. We are, to, we are to go. So they go, they serve the poor, they take care of the orphans, they evangelize the lost. But they're tempted to neglect the gathering of God's people. They neglect the corporate worshiping of God and and the study of the scripture and being transformed by his word. And then oftentimes their theology can get off. Oftentimes their purpose in being sent can get off. And the enemy can then easily sweep in and discourage and distract because they've neglected the gathering of God's people. And so church, we must understand that we are both called and we are sent that we both gather and we scatter, okay? Jesus calls and Jesus sends. Look back at verse 7, Mark 6, verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So Jesus has called the twelve, and now he begins to send them out. They've watched his ministry for a time, but now it is time for them to participate in his ministry. Remember, Jesus is restoring his world by sending his people. And he's not only restoring and renewing the ones we are being sent to, but he is restoring and renewing the ones being sent. 
And so for a majority of our time here this morning, I want us to take a closer look as to how he sends them out. And I want us to try to understand why they are being sent out this way. Because nothing that God does is without purpose, okay? Jesus just didn't happen to send them out this way. No, our God is all-knowing. Our God is all-wise. He sent them out this way with a purpose in mind. And we're going to fo focus on four points of emphasis this morning and how Jesus sends them out, okay? We're going to see in this passage that Jesus sends them out, number one, in community, okay? He sends them out, number one, in community. Jesus sends them out, number two, as ambassadors. We're going to see Jesus send them out, number three, completely dependent upon God. And we're going to see Jesus send them out, number four, ready to be received and rejected, and I'll say it again, then we'll jump into each one. Jesus is going to send them out, number one, in community. Number two, as ambassadors. Number three, completely dependent upon God. And number four, ready to be received and rejected. Well, where do we see Jesus sending them out in community? Look at verse 7. It says, he began to send them out two by two. Two by two. Now, I'm no mathematician. Don't ask me to do any complex equations in my head. I usually always need a scrap of paper or a calculator or my phone or something like that. So you can, you can check my math on this one, all right? But if Jesus calls 12 apostles and he sends them out two by two, then at most they can be in six places at once. Right? Does that check out? Everyone agree? The math is right there? Okay. Like, like if he calls, he calls 12, he pairs them up, then that makes six teams. They can only be in six different places preaching and doing ministry at once. And I think the efficient side of us would say, hey, hey, Jesus, like if you sent them out actually by themselves, they could be in 12 different villages at once. Right? I mean, you could literally double your efficiency by sending them out by themselves. You could double your reach. You could double your evangelistic efforts. I mean, we're trying to reach the whole world starting with 12. Like, let's, let's not couple up. Let's all go by ourselves. We can double our reach. But here's where we have to stop and praise God for a moment. You have to praise him for his graciousness and his goodness to give us one another. He sends them out in community, two by two. Now, I, I realize sometimes we hurt one another. I realize sometimes we annoy one another. But God is good and gracious to give us one another. He is. You see, Jesus knows that we were created for community. We were created for community. But we often forget it, don't we? Like it, living in a world that is twisted and distorted by sin, we, our, our instinct is to isolate ourselves. Our instinct is to not trust one another and to guard ourselves. Our instinct is to try to elevate ourselves above one another, right? But life starts to make a lot more sense when we realize that we were created for community that we were created in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who have been in perfect community since eternity past. 
Jesus knows that, so Jesus knows that, yes, he is going to restore his world by sending his people, and he knows that he is restoring and renewing the ones being sent, but he also knows that the ones being sent were created for community. They were created for community. He sends them out two by two. And in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says this, Verse 9, it says, two are better than one. Now, it's talking about people, not about desserts, but you can take it out of context for that as well, I suppose. Verse 9, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Woe to him who is alone when he falls, no one there to lift him up. Two are better one than be, better than one, excuse me. And this is something that God has been teaching me over the last few years in regards to church leadership. And you'll hear more about this in the next couple of months, and really this next month as we're going to pre- present to you to our first two elder candidates, okay? We're really excited about that. God is raising up leaders here in this church. God is stirring up in people's hearts a desire to love and serve God and a desire to love and serve his people. And so you're going to hear more about that this next month, but, but it's a beautiful thing that he's doing here. But you see, at times doing ministry in community or, or leading in plurality, it can sometimes be frustrating for me, right? Right? Because I know what God has called me to. I have a clear vision of where we are going. But I think the temptation for a lot of leaders is to hear the calling, to see the vision, and to bulldoze anyone that gets in their way. (laughs) And, And sadly, sadly, we have plenty of examples of church leaders who have done that. But what God has been showing us is that we are created for community. And this includes we are created to lead in community. And leading in community can sometimes be frustrating because everyone has different opinions, different ideas. And I initially perceived this as being a bad thing because it was going to slow down the ministry that I felt like God had called me to. Because you see, when you, when you lead in community, when you lead in plurality, you have to have this thing called meetings. Meetings. Does that word, I mean, I don't know about for you guys, but the word meetings just, it just, just sucks the life out of me. Like, I I really, I don't like to have meetings. I'm more of a spontaneous person. I don't like to have a schedule. But, but when you lead with multiple leaders, you have to have these things called meetings. Now, now you can try this out. This is something I'm experimenting with. I'm no longer going to call them meetings. I'm instead going to call them opportunities, okay? I'm just going to see if that kind of tricks my brain, because that's really what they are, right? These are opportunities to be with people and to lead together. So we're going to have opportunities together. Gatherings is another nice one, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can try that out at work. If you don't want to schedule meetings, schedule opportunities to be with people, all right? And I'm not sure who initially coined this phrase, though. It's a quote that I've heard recently that really has clicked with me, and it says, we can go faster alone, but further together. We can go faster alone, but further together. 
And think, think about your own life, okay? Whatever callings God has placed on you, whether it be from leading and serving at church or the way that you want your household to run or, or what he's called you to do at work or with your family, whatever it might be, while we could go faster alone, we will go further together. We were created for community. And so praise God that he gives us one another. So turn to your neighbor. I know it's Labor Day weekend. we got some people missing. But turn to your neighbor and say, Neighbor, praise God he gives us one another. Right? Jesus is restoring and renewing his world by sending his people. And not only is he restoring and renewing the ones we are being sent to, but he is restoring and renewing the ones who are being sent. He sends us out two by two. He sends us out in community. And let me ask you, if you're not getting where you think you need to be going, is it because you are going it alone? If you're not getting where you think you should be going, is it because you're going by yourself? Are you going it alone? Ecclesiastes says, woe to him who is alone, because when he falls, not if he falls, when he falls, there's no one to pick him back up. Well, how else is Jesus sending us out? He's sending us out, number one, in community. He's also sending us out, number two, as ambassadors. Look at verse seven. It says that he gave them authority over unclean spirits. Now, this, this wasn't an authority that they possessed in and of themselves. This wasn't an authority or a power or a right to exercise this in and of themselves. No, this was God's power that was being given to them. They were to be representatives of Jesus. They were to be ambassadors. An ambassador is an authorized messenger or representative. And by Jesus giving them authority, giving them this power for this mission, he was essentially authorizing them to represent him to the world. To represent him as they proclaimed the gospel, as they opposed evil, as they healed the hurting. Paul speaks of this as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hear verse 20 again. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Isn't that crazy? God making his appeal through us. Jesus is restoring his world by sending his people. And he's sending his people not to represent themselves. 
not to glorify themselves, not to make much of themselves, not to further their own agenda, not to build a platform for selfish gain, and not to, and I repeat, not to gain power for themselves. No, we are given power from God. We are empowered by him to be his representatives, to be an ambassador for Christ. Look now at verse 8, Mark 6, verse 8. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Jesus is restoring his world by sending his people. And by Jesus sending his people, not only is he restoring and renewing the, one we are be, the ones we are being sent to, but he's restoring and renewing the ones being sent. He calls a people to himself, and then he sends us out in community. He sends us out as ambassadors. And number three, he sends us out completely dependent upon God. I mean, look, look at what he says not to take. He says, no bread, okay? And this is, he's not just trying to go low carb here, right? He's, he's saying, don't take food at all, all right? Don't take any bread with you. And he says, don't, don't take a bag, right? No, no fanny pack, you know, no backpack, nothing with little knickknacks or band-aids or thing, you know, crafts if you get bored, things like that, right? Like, don't take a bag at all. And then he says, don't take any money. So not only are, are they not allowed to take food, not only are they not allowed to take supplies, but they're not allowed to take money that would probably purchase food or supplies as they go. He says, no, don't take those either. Now, all the planners in the room, okay, if you're, if you're a planner, this has to just be driving you crazy a little bit, okay, right? Because, I mean, we would prefer that when God calls us to something, that we are allowed to kind of perfectly plan and map it out and have all the answers to how this is all going to work out, right? We want to strategize. We want all of our questions to be answered. We want to know where our food is going to come from. We want to know where our lodging is going to come from. We want to know where the money is going to come from. We want to make sure that we have everything that we need next week and next month and things like that. And these are all legitimate concerns and things that could be running through these 12 men's minds right now. Like, hey, what are we going to eat? Where are we going to stay? How, how will our provisions be met? And listen, Jesus isn't just trying to be mean, like this isn't hazing or initiation into being an apostle, right? It's nothing like that. His purpose in sending them with nothing is so that they would place their trust not in their supplies and not in their training or preparation, but instead that their trust would be in the one who called them and in the one who's sending them. And church, this is how God works. I, I, I won't say every time, but I'll say most times when God calls and sends someone, there is typically a question mark about where the provisions are going to come from. And there's typically feelings of inadequacy or being ill-prepared for what God had called you to, right? 
So so this, not every time, but most of the time, when God calls someone and sends someone, you ask them, there's typically a question mark about, yeah, where are the provisions going to come from? And there's a feeling of inadequacy and being ill-prepared for what God has called you to. This is how he works. Talk to any missionary. Talk to any pastor. Talk to anyone that's just faithfully following Jesus, and you will hear story after story of, yeah, we didn't know where the money was going to come from. I didn't know how the provisions were going to be met, how God was going to provide. You're going to hear over and over, I felt unequipped. I felt ill-prepared for what God had called me to. And why? Why does God often work like that? Because remember, not only is God restoring and renewing the ones we are being sent to, but he's restoring and renewing the ones being sent. And so he sends us, often unequipped and ill-prepared, so that we would completely trust in the goodness and the faithfulness of the one who sent us. Jesus sends them purposefully in a state where they must completely depend upon God. Let me let you guys in on a little secret. A couple of weeks ago, I got to spend, spend a week with 10 other church planters, some other experienced pastors, got some more training. So here's, here's an insider secret. No one ever feels fully prepared for ministry. <laughs> and if they do, you probably don't want them in ministry, Right? And I'm not just talking about vocational pastors or missionaries. I'm talking about all of you. Ephesians said that that we are to equip you for the work of the ministry. So every believer is, is a minister in some aspect. You are doing the work of the ministry. And if I'm the first one to tell you that and you're feeling very unequipped or ill prepared, take heart, take heart. No one ever feels fully prepared for ministry. Now, some of you need to hear this this morning because God has called you, God is sending you, and yet you have not gone. You have not responded and taken a step of faith. You've gotten stuck, so to speak, on this this pathway of discipleship. It's, it's as if you're like one of our medical students that just wants to keep watching procedure after procedure because they are too afraid to step out and actually do one because they don't feel fully ready or equipped. Maybe in a couple more years, maybe after watching 10 more procedures, you'll be ready. And so some of you have gotten stuck on this pathway of discipleship. You know what God has called you to right? You know you're to love God and to love your neighbor and to go make disciples. He's given you specific gifts and passions. You see the vision of what you are to do, and yet you won't take the step of faith until all your questions are answered and all your anxieties are settled. You won't obediently follow until you know where the money will come from, until you know where all your provisions will come from. You won't step out until you know where all the time and energy will come from. You won't step out until you've learned just a little bit more and experienced just a little bit more and you become stuck and you become paralyzed in your walk with Christ because you just aren't sure how it's all going to work out. 
And by thinking that way, listen, you are revealing a heart that is more dependent and reliant upon your own training and supplies than on God. And listen, your own training, your own preparation, your own provisions, from personal experience, they will never be enough. If you are going to do kingdom work in your own strength and power, it won't be enough. You're going to need to completely and totally be dependent upon God to provide you everything that you need, including the power that he gives by his indwelling spirit. Now, church, I realize every situation is unique and and there are different considerations that should be thought through and prayed through. You should seek wise counsel in some situations. But listen, in general, most of the time, all your questions won't be answered and all your provisions won't be clearly laid out for you because God desires you to go completely dependent upon him. And church, I've got good news for you this morning, though, because he is a God that can be trusted. He can be trusted. So I I love, so later on in in, in Jesus' earthly ministry here, uh, before he was crucified, before he was betrayed and arrested, uh, he reminded his disciples of this, okay? So Luke records it in Luke chapter 22. I love this. This was before before he was, uh, just right before he was betrayed and arrested. He said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, He's like, okay, you guys remember that time that I sent you out with nothing? Like you thought it was a joke, you know, thought, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? You were nervous, anxious. You remember that time I sent you out with nothing? He says, did you lack anything? They said nothing. Did you lack anything? They said nothing. Church, do you you remember that time in 2017? I know it was a year ago. But do you remember that time in 2017 that you were nervous and anxious about your provisions for 2018? Do you remember? Did you end up lacking anything? Or, Or maybe it was 2016. Do you remember that time in 2016 where you were nervous and anxious about where your provisions were gonna come in 2017, right? Did you end up lacking anything? Or maybe it was 2015, okay? 2015, that one time in 2015, you were nervous and anxious about where your provisions were going to come from in 2016. Did you end up lacking anything? Now, I can keep going. There, okay, okay. Do you remember in 2014? Do you remember that time in 2014? You were nervous and anxious about how God was going to provide in 2015. Did you end up lacking anything? Now, I don't want to belittle times that some of you have had of of just hurting financially, of being in a rough spot. I don't want to belittle times that you've been scraping to get by where you've missed some meals. But my point is not to belittle those hard times. But my point is to remind you of the truth from passages like Matthew 6. Which Matthew 6, verse 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Psalm 50 says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so I'm not saying that there might not be some times that get hard, that there might not be times that you can't get or have everything that you want. But what I'm saying is that God will always provide you what you need. And I believe at the end of your life, when asked, did you lack anything? I think you'll be able to agree with the disciples. Nothing. God has provided me all that I've needed. So the question of where your provisions will ultimately come from, I don't think that really is allowed in the unanswered question category. I think the Bible's pretty clear where your provisions next year are going to come from. They're going to come from God. Now, how that plays out, whether it's through a job or whether it's through the hospitality or generosity of others, how he provides that to you, we don't always know that. But I do know where your provisions next year will ultimately come from. They're going to come from God. And do you remember when I said to talk to any missionary, pastor, or faithful Christian and ask them about following Jesus, and you're going to hear story after story of, yeah, I didn't know where the provisions were going to come from. I didn't know how the bills were going to be paid. I felt unprepared. I felt unequipped for what God had called me to. You keep listening to those stories, and I believe that you will hear story after story of God's faithfulness, how God provided for them, how, and how God prepared them for what he had called them to all along the way. Jesus, after all this, says, did you lack anything? They said nothing. James Edwards, who is, he's a seminary professor and a Presbyterian minister, he said, he said this. He said, true service of Jesus is characterized by dependence on Jesus. And dependence on Jesus is signified by going where Jesus sends despite material shortfalls and unanswered questions. They must trust him alone who sends them. I'll read it again. True service of Jesus is characterized by dependence on Jesus, and dependence on Jesus is signified by going where Jesus sends despite material shortfalls and unanswered questions. They must trust him alone who sends them. Look back at Mark 6, verse 11. It says, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Jesus is restoring his world by sending his people, and by sending his people, he's not only restoring and renewing the ones we are being sent to, but he's restoring and renewing the ones being sent he, he calls us, he sends us out, number one, in community. He sends us out, number two, as an ambassador. He sends us out, number three, totally dependent upon God. And he sends us out, lastly, ready to be received and rejected. He's, he's sending the 12 and says, hey, some are going to receive you. 
Like, I'm going to provide for you through the hospitality of my people. Some are going to welcome you in. They're going to provide your lodging. They're going to feed you so that you can carry out my ministry. Like, some will accept and receive this. You preaching repentance. Some are going to repent and turn back to God. You opposing evil. Like, you healing the hurting. Like, these are things that are going to be received by some. There's going to be some that welcome you. But, there's also going to be some that reject you. And we need to understand this because this was the ministry of Jesus that we are to participate in as well. We are to preach the gospel. We are to call people to repentance. We are to oppose evil and injustices in the world. And we are to heal the hurting. And some are going to receive and respond. And some are going to reject us. And it's important to know that because any sort of rejection can initially feel like a failure, like we've failed what God has called and sent us to do by being rejected. But no, Jesus says some are going to receive. Sadly, some are going to reject you. We are to preach the gospel, call people to repentance. We are to oppose evil and injustices, and we are to help heal the hurting. We are to call people to repentance. And what does repentance mean? It means a, a change of mind, a, a turning from sin and a turning back to God. Some people, when they hear the gospel message, they will turn from their sin and turn to God. And some will not. Some will reject us. But isn't it amazing and isn't it so good and gracious of God to allow his people to participate in his work. I mean, isn't it mind-boggling that Jesus is restoring his world by sending his people? And as we, as we conclude this morning, I, I want you to reflect a little bit on this amazing truth that Jesus is restoring his world by sending his people. And I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about who Jesus has sent to you, Okay? Because I think most of us, all of our testimonies at some point have included people that God sent to us, whether they realized they were sent by God or not, that God brought into our life to encourage us, to share the gospel with us, to help us when we were hurting. These are people in our lives that God has sent along the way to come alongside us and to help us be restored and renewed. Who, who in your past, who in your life, has God sent to you? And wasn't God good to send you those people? Like I'm sure each and every one of us can think about some people that, that have been sent, that God has sent to us in our lives, and we can certainly reach out and thank those people. But ultimately, I want you to understand and see that those people were ultimately sent to you from God. Like that was God being good and gracious to you by sending you that person to your, in your life. Praise God for that. That wasn't a coincidence. That wasn't just it happened to work out that way. God was sending people to you to help you be renewed and restored. So think about the rest of today. Who has Jesus sent to you? But then I want you to consider another question. Who is Jesus sending you to? Right? Maybe he's already put 
a group of people or certain people on your heart and mind that you know you need to go to, but you've been hesitant to go because there's so many questions and uncertainties swirling around in your head, right? Like maybe, maybe you feel unequipped and, and ill-prepared to go. And if you do, welcome to the club, all right? Maybe, maybe you're concerned about whether you will be received or rejected because you would perceive being rejected as you failing, right? So you're, that, that kind of makes you hesitate about going. Maybe you've been trying to go all alone, and instead you were supposed to go in community. You were supposed to have people praying for you and supporting you as you, as you went, or you're supposed to have a brother or sister go with you to someone. Maybe you've been trying to do it all by yourself. Or maybe, maybe you've forgotten that you are an ambassador of Christ, that you are not necessarily representing yourself because you've been so concerned just about how you're going to be perceived by these people or this person because you're worried about your own image, your own platform, your own representation. You've forgotten that you are an ambassador for Christ. <clears throat> or maybe what's holding you up is some past sin. Maybe you have some undealt with guilt that's still kind of deep in your heart. Maybe all the ways that you have failed God and you have failed others in the past, maybe that just continually comes to mind and kind of holds you back from taking a step of faith forward. And church, I can let my mind go there at times. I know some of you can relate to that. You feel unworthy to be one of the sent ones of Jesus. You feel unprepared. You feel unequipped. And at times you can feel not good enough to be called by Jesus and to be sent by Jesus. And if that's you this morning, I want you to write down this verse to dwell on it later today. It's from Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. It's been an encouragement to my heart this week. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let me read verse 5 again. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Jesus is restoring his world by sending his people. And we are a people who are not a people because of our own good works or because of what we have done. We are not a people because of our own merits. No, we are a people according to his great mercy. Jesus calls us and Jesus sends us.